Coming up next is KCRW Berlin's provocative new show, asking uncomfortable questions we need answers to in Berlin and beyond. This is giving me more uh, goosebumps than I thought it was going to. In the first episode, we delve into who we are and why it matters to our city and its future. Yes, I am a Berliner and I will defend this against those who think that I'm not. But does it get to be too much? You know, if I didn't know who you were when you came in here, I would have said, where are you from? After like four answers of me not telling you that my parents are Palestinian, you would stop, right? No. Forging a consensus on identity, next on our premiere of Common Ground, I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. This episode was recorded live on September 7th at Pfefferberg House 13 in Berlin, and I'm excited to share it with you. But first, let me tell you a bit about Common Ground. The goal of the show is to foster passionate yet civil debate and to forge a consensus on issues that make our blood boil, or if we can't agree, to hopefully develop respect for differing viewpoints other than our own. We started the evening with a bit of context and background delivered by KCRW Berlin senior advisor Sandy Chen Kluth, who also came up with a name for our show. A warm welcome, everybody. So first, before we begin, we want to say a profound and heartfelt thank you to the Federal Ministry for Economic Affairs and Energy for believing in what we do and for supporting the show with a grant through the European Recovery Program. So in October, uh, KCRW Berlin will be celebrating our third birthday. And we're really proud to build on the tradition of American public radio here in Berlin. So it started with the American Armed Forces Network, then it was RIAS, then it was NPR Berlin, and now here we are as KCRW Berlin, a public radio station for and by Berliners. So for three years, we've been bringing the best of American public radio and journalism to Berlin, and we've helped bring the world to Berlin. So now tonight, with the launch of Common Ground, we hope to bring the very best of Berlin to the world. So KCRW, through our journalism, as well as through our music and our cultural programming, was founded to be an American voice as well as a German voice here in Berlin and on both sides of the Atlantic. We were founded to help foster understanding, tolerance, and dialogue. In other words, to find and deepen our connections. (laughs) I'd also like to welcome our small, socially distanced audience in the theater and the many folks who are connecting with us via Zoom from across Germany and the US. We want to hear from you during this show and look forward to your questions. So if you're on Zoom, please submit your questions in the chat box. To introduce today's topic, we're going to start off with a film. Let's watch. All free men, wherever they may live, are citizens of Berlin. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the word, Ich bin ein Berliner. It's been 57 years since John F. Kennedy spoke those unforgettable words here in Schöneberg in front of its city hall. But who is a Berliner today? Our city has dramatically changed from the one that used to be the front line of the Cold War, when the need for solidarity against a common enemy outweighed the need to think about what being a Berliner really meant. The city's transformation since reunification has been even more dramatic, and not just in its landscape, like this neighborhood where Kennedy spoke. Today, nearly a quarter of the three and a half million people who live in Berlin are immigrants. Many more have moved here from elsewhere in Germany. This evolution isn't always welcome. Too often it pits neighbor against neighbor. So who is a real Berliner? We asked some visitors and residents what they thought. There are many aspects that define who a Berliner is. There aren't that many Germans in Berlin. Berlin is huge. There are more foreigners than Germans. But of course, in order to be a Berliner first, you have to speak German. Also, you have to be working, studying, or have a home or family. Sometimes I don't feel like a Berliner because, after all, I am a Turkish woman. So unfortunately, that's what I feel I am. That's why I say, who is a Berliner or whether there actually are any Berliners here? I don't know. We are very different people in Berlin. 
verschiedene Leute in Berlin. But what does being a real Berliner mean when half of Berlin didn't actually come here until after 1991? Are warnings about gentrification or newcomers changing the essence of Berlin even valid in a city where natives have historically been the exception rather than the rule? Even after the 30 years war in the 1600s, a depopulated Berlin was eager for people to move here. The same was true after reunification. This is Teutoburger Park, surrounded by buildings that in the 1980s were home to young activists and artists who helped redefine Berlin and the world. Less than a decade later, Deborah Cole, who is an Agence France press correspondent, arrived in Berlin. She's married to Hilma Schmund, who is German and a reporter for Spiegel magazine. They call this corner of Berlin home. I think that, you know, big cities, world cities, like Berlin claims to be, uh, you know, thrive on an openness and uh, an ability for anyone to kind of make it there, uh, to coin a phrase. And, uh, and so it's helpful, um, I think, you know, when everybody tries to just be that touch more open-minded, I think that, you know, the benefit, Berlin will benefit in, in the long run. I'm here in Matsan with Hanyu Hein, a German teacher and popular tour guide in this district he's made his home. Hein says Matsan is not the anti-immigrant backwater some Berliners claim. If you think about um, refugees, for example, we have um, Lichtenberg with the highest percentage of refugees, homes, uh, places where they live, whatever you call it, and followed by Marzahn. Then we've got all the other districts, and then the very lowest of Berlin is in Friedrichshain. And if you just think people who say like, oh, refugees welcome, all great, but it's usually Friedrichshain going and these, and then you usually, or oh, I ask the question, said like, take some on. We have them, and we can say we live together, and it works. This is the bell tower of the Olympic Stadium in Berlin, which stands 77 meters or 253 feet tall. It isn't the original structure that was erected more than 80 years ago. That one was blown up, rebuilt, and renovated after World War II. It's here that I meet Dr. Manfred Ulitz, a Berliner by birth. He is the chairman of the Association for the History of Berlin, which was founded 155 years ago, and which is all about preserving Berlin's, quote, patriotic historical sense. What that means depends on who you're talking to. I think Europe is going to close the borders and um, so probably not too many people will arrive here from abroad and uh, those who are already here they have had uh, 10 years by then to just um, be open-minded and uh, this seems to be a problem when I when you go to Neukölln for example and um, see people who are sort of proud about their origin I mean there's nothing wrong about that but um, it's, um, it's going to be a problem. So who is a real Berliner? We have four special guests up on stage here today to help us figure that out. And we'll start uh, from the far side there. Sausan Chebli, a social democrat and Berlin state secretary for civic engagement and international affairs. She recently announced her run for the German Bundestag. She's born to Palestinian immigrants, and she says she feels at home in many worlds, something that I can certainly relate to, being multicultural. But she's most comfortable here in Berlin. Welcome, Sausan. Thank you. So next, I'm going to introduce Sherman Langhoff. She's the director of the Maxim Gorky Theater, and Ex-Berliner magazine dubbed her the Queen of Kreuzberg. I'm sure we'll hear more about that. She is the daughter of Turkish immigrants. She told Sight Online she speaks from the perspective of a German living in Germany. Welcome, Sherman. And next to her, we have Rick Delisle. He's host and DJ at Berliner Rundfunk, and he's very well known as Der Alte Ami. He's a fellow Milwaukee native, which speaks to me as well. We're both from Wisconsin. And he first moved to West Berlin in 1978 while in the US Air Force. And an interesting fact about him, he took a sledgehammer to the Berlin Wall, like many people did, and there is a piece of that that he broke off, hanging on the Zion Church in Baltimore City. Welcome, Rick. 
And then last but not least, here next to me is uh, Christian Greif. He's a member of the Berlin House of Representatives and a housing policy spokesman for its CDU-CSU parliamentary group. He's an entrepreneur who says the middle class as well as property and ownership are very important to Berlin. Welcome, Christian. So we're gonna launch right into it. Um, who is a Berliner? I wanna know on this panel here if you consider yourselves Berliners. And if so, why? Or if not, why not? And we'll start with you, Christian. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I would say, yeah, I'm a real Berliner. Um, I lived here, I was born in uh, close to Prenzlauer Berg, to this place here. So the question why I'm a real Berliner, I think I'm committed to the city. And I think that's um, something we maybe uh, should discuss today. I think one of the big problems is that a lot of people coming from Germany, coming from all over the world, uh, they really love Berlin, they really love to be here and to live here and to make party and to work here, uh, to born the child, but um, they're not committed really to the city because the city is so different. I think there are so different parts. So the most of the Berliners say, um, I'm living my, we Berliners say, Keats in my quarter in my borough maybe, in my district, but you know, they're not committed to all over the city. Salsa, I'm gonna go to you. You had an interesting tweet uh, pinned about identity. That was part of why I was very excited to have you on the show. Do you consider yourself a Berliner and do you agree with what Christian said? First of all, thank you for inviting me, yes. And I consider myself a Berliner, but it was not the case when I was younger. It's very interesting that I'm starting to identify more with the city than I used to when I was a young girl. I mean, we were stateless for 15 years. And the moment I got the German passport, I was so proud to be German. And I didn't, like, I didn't identify myself that much with the city because Germany as such was much bigger. It was the goal, right? So to be German was the greatest, like, it was something that is undescribable actually holding the passport in my hand. And, um, but that has changed in the last years. I think it has something to do with uh, people like denying me of being a German, like denying in a sense of not accepting a foreigner or someone who looks like me to be German. So I started to identify myself more with Berlin because I feel more comfortable that way. There is a study published by Open Society Foundation. It shows that many immigrant children, they identify themselves more with Berlin than with Germany because it's easier for them to say, I'm a Berliner than to say, I'm German. And I see that that's a development we're seeing in the last years that has something to do with the uprise of right-wing extremism and right-wing populism, even in our country. Sherman, do you find yourself having to defend that you're German or that you're a Berliner? I mean, do people accept you as such? It was a long time about uh, reaction or about defending. What I'm defending is democracy, because I think this is the common ground that allows us to participate wherever we come from. And if you look on Berlin, uh, one of the prologues told it already. He spoke about a Bohemian who came 300 years before. So the foundation of Berlin uh, relates to the Wenden and Sorben uh, even 800 years before. And you won't find so many of that uh, natives of that origins uh, anymore here. So Berlin is made out of migration of those who came here and it is in its ra radical diversity a social reality that we have in the uh, last years also in the Berlin parliament uh, a fascists uh, who uh, deny the Holocaust, who deny the history, um, is uh, something that I try to work against. Because to be a Berliner means also to live in the history of Berlin, so to embrace it. And if you look at the Maxim Gorky Theater, where I'm the theater director, you will see from the times of 1819, where, most, where um, uh, Felix uh, Mendelssohn 
Bartholdi, uh, who became a Protestant, who became a Prussian, uh, more integrated was not possible, couldn't become the conductor of this Singh Academy because of anti-Semitism. We are talking about 1819. If you look on how we had the Holocaust, and um, so all this history is so important that we don't just look on nowadays, but that we have this wisdom. Yes, I am a Berliner, and I will defend this against those who think that I'm not. Rick, you're like me, and I'm going to presume that you have an American passport like me, but um, do you consider yourself a Berliner? Sure. I don't see any quandary there. I'm an American, but I'm a Berliner. My kids, my grandkids are born here. Uh, they don't Berliner, and the only one in our house that speaks the Berlin accent is my wife, who was born in Hackeshehofer, right around the corner, which makes her a real Berliner. Um, I'm born in Milwaukee. I spent 20 years in the US Air Force. I'm a retired NCO. And my heart belongs there where, or I got it, in America. I'm an American. But what's happened over the years something I'm actually pretty proud of, is that the Berliners have accepted me. I'm like an old Sophie in the living room. You know, we're not going to throw it away. It's been here all the time. And, uh, and so, you know, whenever I go somewhere, or I, we get in this, this discussion comes up often, I go, I'm, you know, an American. And somebody will go, well, you're a Berliner. You've been here forever. That's a great compliment, actually. Uh, when people who live somewhere uh, that you've chosen for your home, and I chose this through my home, say, hey, you're, you know, you're one of us. Just because you showed Kennedy at the beginning, I think there's just one point I wanted to make, is that this city uh, changes all the time. So it's really hard to understand who's a Berliner and who's not. Kennedy, if you read his speech, <laughs> was only talking about West Berlin. Very you contradictive. Know. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it made sense then, because nobody ever thought there'd be an East Berlin for the Americans in those days, and I'm, you know, I'm old enough to have been there, um, is, there was West Berlin and East Germany. There wasn't West Berlin and East Berlin. It was, you know, that gray stuff on the other side of the wall. And so there, there's a different definition. Those people that he was speaking to are uh, even older than I am, if you can believe that. There's some kids <laughs> here. Um, and they're, you know, mostly gone. So, and, and so it's developed into something else, I think. Well, you, the four of you have gotten to listen to each other's answers, so I'm going to ask you what perhaps might be a little bit of a provocative question. Do any of you consider another one of the panelists to be less of a Berliner than you or more of a Berliner than you? Can I tell you something? <laughs> I, used to, I used to wonder, when are you a Berliner? When I got here, I'd say, and, and I realized for yourself you're a Berliner when you're angry that other people who came here after you think they're a Berliner. I mean, that, 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 that tells the story of Hans Magnus Enzensberg, but uh, sorry, I didn't want to, t to interrupt you when he describes uh, the situation that you have in train. So when you sit in a compartment, it's empty, and you are really happy. You have the whole place for you. And then a second one comes, and there are five places free, so you can't say no. And he sits, so then you kind of agree and uh, find the place together and both have enough space and then the third comes. But I think it's not just about psychology, it's about politics. And I mean, if you uh, link to Kennedy, we're, we've been living in the anti-communist uh, speech approaches also that he did that were needed in this time after uh, Wall was uh, built uh, 61 uh, from the Western perspective. And I am leading a theater which is founded as a theater in the German Democratic Republic, uh, which was uh, the enemy. And, uh, and uh, today I sometimes see still that we search for the, let's say, wrong enemies when we talk about common grounds, um, as long as we are facing a new fascism since years in the last weeks, especially what we saw on Reichstag and demonstrations are really disgusting. So searching for common grounds could be also to overcome 30 years after reunification uh, this old uh, myths of Berlin that are still 
let's say, kind of pioneering some political uh, thoughts and some politicians in this city. So to see really in a wider sense all these uh, contradictions that we uh, have to face and see also the political contexts because I can say I am a Berliner, I am also a German, not just a German citizen. I have the possibility to elect my parliament. So my mother still doesn't have, even on the communal position, if she doesn't have the citizenship. And we face that, for example, in Berlin, that a lot of the population of Berlin doesn't have doesn't the possibility have the right to, vote. to yeah. vote. So there are, it's not so easy. It's not just a cultural field. There is a political field. There is a field of justice. Um, and uh, of social responsibility. So in that dialectics, in Berlin, we have the chance to form common grounds on many levels. Salsan, I'm gonna put you in the hot seat again. Do you see anybody as being less or more of a Berliner on the stage? L let me tell you something. As a German Berlin politician, and as someone who's born in Berlin, I'm so super happy when people tell me they feel like belonging to Berlin and they say they're Berliners. And it's so interesting what Deborah said when she said, that people start to um, argue and say, well, I was not born here, so maybe I'm not a real Berliner. And I'm like, of course you are. If you feel like a Berliner, if you feel like belonging to the city, of course you are a Berliner. And I'm so proud of this city that has become in the last years an open-minded, diverse city that welcomes people from everywhere. Even we have a great Israeli community in the city, which is not like something we could take for granted after this history. People who come here for love because they have found their love in Berlin and that is from Israel. So um, I'm super proud that people are watching us and seeing us as one of the greatest city in the world, one of the most diverse cities in the world, even if people would always bash on us, like e politicians and um, there are so many things that do not work as much as we w want them to work, that is true. But at the end of the day, um, we've managed to build up a city together with so many, many people that is a role model in Europe for being open, diverse, and that has a strong democracy. I know we're like, when you travel, when you go to Europe, everybody's watching us. And we are helping Warsaw and other cities that are liberal to maintain democratic structures. So me as a Berliner, I'm proud to be Berliner and I would say everyone is a Berliner who feels like it. <laughs> Christian, let me ask you, do you see any prerequisites to being a Berliner? I mean, is there something that people should do to be Berliners? No, I, I totally agree with our state secretary. Um, I couldn't say anything, um, you know, against it. I, I think um, if you really feel like a Berliner, you are a Berliner. And sometimes it's very hard um, to, to feel like a Berliner because we are not, you know, the most kindly people all over the world. You, we are very direct and say, you know, what, it, what it's wrong in our, um, from our perspective and what's maybe good, but, you know, mostly what it's wrong. I think there's a phrase for that. Yeah. Berliner Schnauze, Yeah, right? Berliner Schnauze, so we're very directly and not the kind. That's like Berlin big mouth for those of us who I think German. there Go are ahead. three waves of Berliners. People like Rick, who lived here before the war was, f f you know, falling down before reunification. And then the second wave, where people, especially from, we say here in Prenzlauer Berg, for example, from Baden-Württemberg, from Bavaria, from the south of Berlin, coming to Berlin. And then, uh, you know what the state secretary says, a lot of international young people, European people coming to Berlin, and they are the, let's say, third wave from people. They're really, really committed to Berlin. And I think sometimes the people that live here before the war was falling down on both sides, on the west side and on the east side as well, they're looking for the old city and this city is gone. It's not there anymore. And to give them, to say to them, yes, you know, there are so many different neighborhoods, like for example, in New York, you have, you have garden cities like my district, Marzahn-Hellersdorf, and you have very, very urban um, districts like Prenzlauer Berg or Mitte. And it's okay, you know, to live in a, in a green neighborhood outside and to live here in a city where clubs and music and, and life, you know, is always there. It's always, um, it's always on the ground. And all of them are Berliners. 
One of KCRW Berlin's newest listeners had a question about becoming a Berliner. Do we have the tape? Can we play it? Okay. Hi, my name is Stefano Montali. Uh, I just arrived in Berlin about a month ago, and I've been living in the Schöneberg neighborhood. Um, my question is, what would you say is the ultimate Berliner rite of passage? For example, something you can't call yourself a real Berliner until you've done or seen. Rick, I'm going to start with you since... Uh, a rite of passage? I'm so old, I can't even remember what that means. Um, this is getting, uh, giving me more uh, goosebumps than I thought it was going to, this discussion. Usually I don't do these things, and I only came here because you had such a great topic. You really made me think just a minute ago, because it's, uh, Berlin was, when it was divided and surrounded, an edgy place. It was dangerous. You know, uh, and not a week went by when somebody didn't get shot on the wall. The last American soldier was killed in March of 1989. A lot of people forget that. It's not like talking about 1945. Uh, in fact, his daughter was in the same class with my oldest daughter. And try uh, explaining to your daughter at the age of 10 uh, this political situation of where the Americans are shooting at the Germans and the Germans are shooting at the Soviets and blah, blah. It was, it, it was, but at, at the same time, although it was edgy, there was a togetherness in the city that's not there anymore. And that's, I think, what most people miss about that old Berlin you were talking about. I was in, you know, my blue Air Force uniform, sitting in Besetzte Häuser in Kreuzberg, drinking beer with guys, <laughs> with left-wing radicals who said, we're you know, gonna occupy this house. Because the only thing that counted in, in old Berlin when the wall was there is, were you or were you not an of English? And then everything else was okay. If we have things we don't you know, agree on, we don't need to scream at each other about it. We can sit here and drink a beer and talk about it. Or let's just talk about music. So, and that's kind of gone now. And now it's like you know everybody's drawing lines. And that makes it uncomfortable for people who knew that old Berlin. None of you guys really did, but that's what's different. Christian, go ahead. Yeah, I would mention one point. I think that's very interesting because I was born in the east part of, of the former GDR. And what you said, um, Berlin was very unsafe, you know, from, from I think the east part, the east point part of the city, um, the view was that it was very safe. It was one of the safest places to live in the former GDR, and you know, you said it, was, it, um, it wasn't safe, it was, you know, uh, they were a very, very dangerous city, and it, for us, you know, and for a lot of people in GDR, it was a home and safe place. And then, um, I just want a short answer of your question. I think if you are make a walk from maybe Spandau, you know, or Marzahn Hellersdorf, through Friedrichshain and to Mitte, to the middle point of the city in the night, and um, you go, you know, to the little shops where you can buy beer or whatever, and you do this once upon a time through the city, five, six, ten kilometers, take a subway or whatever, and then you know you you see all those different neighborhoods. I think you're a real billionaire, and you have to do this. Oh, so that's that's one rite of passage. Sausan, do you have any other recommendations for the young man who just moved here? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've never, as a Berliner, you don't think of what do you have to do in order to feel like a Berliner? I just, I just would recommend just to absorb the, the atmosphere, um, the diversity, to go to the clubs, and if he's interested in fashion and culture, we have a great cultural scene in Berlin. And if he's interested to see the immigrant communities, go to Neukölln and you will see the greatest immigrant neighborhoods, or to Kreuzberg, even though what I found very, very irritating. The first time I went to Kreuzberg after a long time, when you go to a cafe or bar and people only speak in, in English. There is a point about it. If you don't speak English, like my parents, I mean, wow, they're lost if they go to Kreuzberg and um, being served only in English. But that is also something that has changed in Berlin and that is beautiful. So there is so many different f aspects of this city and whatever he's interested in, he'll find he'll find a place to to go and um, to feel to feel good. Let me ask uh, our technical people: Do we have questions? Uh, on okay, so Sylvia Cunningham, 
our lovely deputy editor from KCRW Berlin is going to share those questions. Hi. Thanks, Soraya. So we have a, a, a question from the Zoom chat. It's a listener who is sitting outside a cafe close to Kati. He's German, but he moved to Berlin just last November. He's a proud new Berliner, but less traditional than you all. His question is, what could be done to foster our Berlin community even more than is already happening? How to get out of our bubbles? Christian, I'll start with you. I think um, um, what we need in Berlin is, um, yeah, maybe some kind of a common ground. So what is the city, how is the city look like in 2030 or 2035? I think there is no discussion about this. You know, in this year we have a special year because it's, it's, a, it's a little birthday of uh, Berlin right now where uh, Greater Berlin was founded. Um, so this is a pretty, pretty much um, exciting birthday and, you know, nobody, I, I say, you know, the most of the people, the politicians care about, but the most of the Berliners don't care about. I think a discussion in the city, how is the city look like in 2030, 2035, would bring all the people, they're born here, they live here, they feel like a Berliner, um, wherever they come from, um, bringing together. I think that is really needed by all of the parties. I think no party you know, even my own party uh, have a discussion about this. What is a vision for Berlin in 2030? And we, I think we have to do this. There's another question. Hi, Kimberly Marteau Emerson. My question is actually, I want to go a little macro. So Berlin is not a nation. You don't need to have a citizenship card in order to be a Berliner, right? It's an idea. But there's also something that I think about, and I think about what it means to be a German. And what I'd love to hear you comment on is what you think the differences are between being a real Berliner and a real German, and where they're alike and where potentially they diverge. We're, we're gonna let one person answer that just because if we go across, we might run out of time for the show. Is there anyone here who'd like to take that? I'm a German, I'll take it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> We'll hear what DJ Rick Delisle had to say after this short break. Stay tuned for the second half of the live evening premiere of KCRW Berlin's Common Ground, when some of the conversation turned prickly. Hi, this is Moderna. Join me every Thursday for Brave New Raid, where I provide uninterrupted music influenced by Berlin's underground techno, dark disco, and left-field culture. That's every Thursday from 9 to 11 p.m., just after fresh air. Here on 104.1 FM, KCRW Berlin. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. Every week on our show, we apply the tools of journalism to stories that are so small and personal, journalists normally would not cover them. It was my forged signature, and it was my boyfriend's handwriting. Or we look at stories that are big. Refugees, school segregation in America, the split in the Republican Party. Climbing out from the smoking ruin and say, anybody else alive around here? And find surprising personal stories there, too. This American Life. Every Sunday at 5 p.m. on KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to the premiere of Common Ground, taped on September 7th before a live audience on Zoom and in Pfefferberg House 13 in Berlin. Before the break, Kimberly Marteau Emerson, who was married to a U.S. ambassador to Germany who served during the Obama administration, asked the panel to speak about the differences between being a real Berliner versus a real German. Here is veteran Berliner Rundfunk DJ Rick Delisle's response. My family left Schleswig-Holstein, my mother's family, in 1867 to go to America. I've done all this uh, research on my ancestry back to the 1600s for the French side of the family and the German side of the family. The ones that came from Germany and all of the census and every piece of paper they ever filled out all said they came from Prussia. That includes uh, my great grandmother who actually came from Poland. <laughs> if you go look for it now. Uh, Germany is, it's like trying to grab a fish in water. There, there is no Germany. And Berliners, to my estimation, have always said, you know, Berlin is not Germany. 
And I was in West Germany for a while, and I can tell you that Berlin is not German. <laughs> I lived in Rheinland-Pfalz, uh, where my daughter was born, and I lived in Hessen, where my son was born, and that ain't Berlin. It's just a different place. It has nothing. One, the one doesn't really have to do anything with the other, I don't think. I think it's an important question because it shows off the dialectics. So, uh, and uh, I thought also in the title of the show why you put this real Berliner. So, is there a fake Berliner? Uh, and um, and I think this is the discussions that we really need in the politics and in the question of our laws. So. Till the 2000s, we had a law which was based on blood and nation, a concept which is not that old. So it was constructed also uh, out of a really diverse, uh, how he told already, Prussia and other parts, and Bavaria, especially uh, with its own freedom instincts and, uh, and distinctions. So, um, and I think it's really the question of if we see the world and if we see that we have this reactionary movements all over the world of nation uh, rebuildings and reconstructions, it's an important question uh, not to make it the bubble Berlin where we can feel, uh, feel well as long as the Berlin Republic is also a symbol for uh, the whole Germany and what does it uh, have to do with the rest of Germany is an important question. And I think we have, especially in the big cities, we have the same situations almost like in Berlin. So uh, big diversity and the complexity. And of course, like it is about searching for the common grounds, accepting the differences and the conflicts. And that's why it's really important how Germany and there maybe it is still a role model uh, to different parts of world follows its uh, offers of participation. How can I become a German without having the blood uh, issue which really brought us uh, to final solutions that we never again want to have and uh, that uh, are uprising in all the world and um, uh, yeah, also in the country where you uh, partly come from. Salsan, did you want to, you were, oh, just, yeah, okay. Just one little remark. I mean, when, you, when, you, when we talk about um, what is the difference between being a Berliner, what makes it easier to be a Berliner than to be German? When you look at the third generation immigrants, as I said, it's, it's much easier for them to identify with Berlin than to identify with Germany. Not because Germany is like, it, is an idea they don't know anything about. It's because people would not accept them being German because they're always questioned with their identity. Whenever they say, I'm German, they keep being asked, yeah, but where do you come from exactly? And that is a problem. That is something that we have, I thought that we'd be talking a little bit more about because I've never been asked that much where my parents come from. But these days, whenever I say I'm German, like people would ask me, but where do you come from exactly? I'm like, I'm a, from Berlin. Yeah, but where exactly? So um, this issue is a problem and this makes it so difficult to identify yourself with Germany, but it's so easy to identify yourself with your local community, with Berlin, with your neighborhood because your friends live there, your parents live there, the culture you know is there, so it's much easier. And this is something that we can take benefit about um, to strengthen actually the Berlin identity of this third generation immigrants because it helps us to form a, a common ground. Otherwise it would be very dangerous. You bring up a really good point because this is 2020 and multiculturalism has become a huge issue. I mean, obviously around the world, but in Berlin in particular, you hear it a lot more. And it doesn't really make sense when you think about the fact that generations of immigrants have been building, whether it's the Gastarbeiter, as they're called, the guest workers, whether it's asylum seekers, whether, I mean, you can go back to the 30 years war as one of the uh, people in the film mentioned and the city at the time, or it wasn't a city, I guess it was more of a settlement, were begging immigrants to come in because the place had become depopulated. So there's a history of immigration here. And yet now there's much more identity politics going on. Not to belabor the point, but I'm just wondering if, if someone here on this panel has a thought about why that is. Why is it now that it's, it's become something that you have to define yourself, you know, that people aren't just satisfied hearing that you're a German? Christian. I, I, I totally agree. 
the State Secretary, uh, that is, I think in Berlin is no question about this, where you're coming from or where, you, where, where you're truly coming from. I think if you look on the countryside, and I think that's the same in all the countries all over the world, in Bavaria or whatever, or, that, or in Saxonia, for example, the people, for, yeah, but you're not German, you're not born here or whatever. I, I totally agree with you. But I think the problem in Berlin is that we have so much, we call it Wachstumsschmerzen, so pain for growing with the city. And maybe on this side, we, uh, we, we, we don't have a um, little discussion with the state secretary um, because um, I think right now the government is doing not enough um, you know, for infrastructure, for schools, for kindergartens, for streets, even um, for the subway system and whatever um, to keep this growing on and to say the Berliners, wherever they come from, um, I think, yeah, okay, that's fine. A lot of people can come to Berlin and everything is going on. Everything is well-functioned. Um, Berlin is, is, is never, you know, it's always growing. You're completely right. And Rick mentioned this as well at the beginning of our discussion. But, you know, something um, has, to, uh, has to grow also um, with all the people coming here, and that's um, the infrastructure. Now, you were... Sorry, Let me just add something. I think when you when you decide to stay somewhere like I decided to stay here, uh, you need to have a little bit thicker skin. I mean, when I walked in the door, we were talking outside, and somebody said, "Oh, you're Dutch, aren't you?" I said, "I'm not Dutch," and, you know, because obviously Americans can't speak German. It's what what's behind that. I always ask people when I meet them where they're from. You know, if I didn't know who you were when you came in here, I would have said. Where are you Wait, from? After like four answers of me not telling you that my parents yeah, are Palestinian, you would stop, yeah, right? No, I would stop after the first time because my question is, oh, cool, you speak German, where are you from, you know? Um, okay, I like that because I, the more foreigners who are here, the better I feel because I'm not in the minority. <laughs> um, I left Milwaukee because I said I have to get out of this place. And I spent 20 years in the Air Force. I lived four and a half years in Thailand. I lived in Portugal. I, I lived in West Germany. In each of these places I was, I learned the language as good as I could. I learned about the cities I was living in. I lived on the Thai border, on the Cambodian border for a year and a half. I lived on the Lao border for a year. And when I got to Berlin, I said, if you're going to stay here, you have to learn something about this place. And I think waiting for the government to fix this is, not, is wrong. Every single person has to go, what do I need to do to be accepted? What do I need to do to fix this? And then it'll work. But I mean, there's just, look, it's Germany, it's Europe. There's a lot of stuff going on that needs to be fixed before they get around to, you know. I'm more like, do it yourself, you know? Get out there and meet people and try not to be offended, you know? You're totally right seeing that again on the human level, on the, <coughs> on the psychological level, and, but it's not a one-way discourse, I think. And, and I think that politics that we had for a long time in this country uh, were really not expecting that people who came also should stay here. So, and the offer was not about integration and about learning German and about, so it was much more, and on the other side, it built up also the constructions of leaving. So, and I think it's both sides, you know, you're right, people have to be interested and do it by, by themselves, but we have also uh, the state which can do offers and which can give possibilities. And I think there is one point where the people can't do it by themselves, and that is when they get burned and when they get killed and the state and its institutions don't react and don't uh, go for this um, uh, really as a priority. So um, I don't have a problem with that not to get everything offered. I did a lot by myself, I'm, you can be sure. And also my mother did it. So and. Uh, and we are emancipated women in three generations. And, uh, but uh, in the moment where the people who look like me get burned, get killed, and a state is not reacting with it, all its organizations and institutions of justice, of police, of defense, there I have a problem. And, and I would say that's why it's not a one-way um, uh, situation that we have. We need the political 
orders and we need, uh, of course, the motivation of uh, the single person who is arriving or who is living here. Let me just ask Sylvia again if we have any more questions from Zoom. We have time for one more question from Zoom and then uh, like a final follow-up question and then, then we'll have to call it the night. Hello again, this one is from Molly. How concerned are you that the far right is threatening the Berliner values of openness and diversity? Can I start? Yes, please. Yeah, I'm very concerned and I'm concerned not only because I'm threatened not only because I experience, I'm experiencing hate as much as I've never experienced before in my life, because I feel that there's something going on in the wrong direction in our country, not only in Berlin. In Berlin, still, we are a multicultural city where I see the immigrant community is like flourishing, but there are problems. I see there's structural discrimination, there's racism, there is Islamophobia. Um, that we have to tackle. This is one of the greatest challenges, I would say. But fighting against the right-wing extremism, fighting against right-wing populism is so important because it's strengthening our democracy. And me as a politician, I feel like so committed to it. I feel um, that it's one of the greatest um, challenges, challenges that we're facing. And I feel like there's much more we have to do. We're doing a lot as politicians, as a social democrat, I can say we're, we're strong fighters against right-wing extremism and hate, but still there is a lot more we can do, especially not adapting the language of the right-wing populace, for example. This is something that is so important, and it's by not um, also, like when we talk about right, wing extremism in our police or in security services. It's not because I feel like it's a general problem, but because I see that there is racist structures even in our police. Because cases in the past showed that it's a problem that we're facing. So I say, yes, we have a problem here in Germany. We have it in Europe. We have it in the world. And um, I think Germany is reacting better than many other countries are, I would say, but still there is a lot more we can do. So I wanna ask a final question and then ask each of you to answer it uh, succinctly. I mean, obviously there are some challenges and there are problems and we've touched on some of them. What do you do to fix this definition of who is a Berliner? I mean, what, what do you think you can change so that there is more common ground, which all of us have talked about the need for? So just. If you can sort of give that a thought and each of you take it in turn, um, who would like to start? We can go this way, that way. Okay. I think um, the solution for me is to fix uh, every day to fix little problems for people. That's, I think, the, uh, the biggest point. I totally agree uh, with the state secretary about uh, right, the right wing problem. And I think to, to fix the people's problem every day I think that's the, the biggest thing we can do against this and to get a common ground for the people of Berlin. Uh, speaking from um, experience, I've got two daughters and a son and uh, three grandchildren. Uh, the, my kids don't even think about being Berliners. In fact, one of them moved up to northern Germany. And the grandkids, it's not in their vocabulary. It's not, they don't identify themselves as Ich bin ein Berliner. It's just not there. And uh, I think that's kind of cool, and I'm pretty optimistic about that. I, sometimes I ask my oldest grandson, he just um, got his hobby tour recently, and I said, Don't you know, you only speak Hochdeutsch. When you want a Berliner, and I'll, uh, leave me alone. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That, yeah, the dialect is great. Ich bin ein Berliner. The only person in German radio who Berliners is an American. <laughs> Is that too much of 
I mean, we as a theater try uh, to really thematize productively the conflicts uh, in this city and, uh, and to work on narrations because when ideologies like the right wing trickles into the language, so art can be uh, a, a possibility, uh, a space of remembrance on one hand, on those what that uh, city faced and on building up new narratives, new narrations, visions uh, that are not just about uh, infrastructure and uh, possibilities that you have politically and economic wise, but that uh, uh, tells the stories of the many and that it is productive and possible to coexistence with common grounds in a radical diversity. Um, and that's what Gorky tries with people who arrived just in the last years in our exile ensemble from Syria and who work with the Israeli background, the director on a common ground in a theater piece, in a story that we tell together. And uh, this is very symbolic, of course, and we are a small stage at the end, but we arrive uh, in real, when it's not pandemic times, more than 100,000 people a year. And since the pandemic, we Zoom and we, um, uh, we show our shows and our discussions also through internet. So watch out also for all new premieres on uh, the internet uh, in the future. Um, that's what art maybe can do, working on new narrations and on this common grounds, also with language. We need a common and a new language. Um, I agree with uh, what my colleague from the CDU said, that you have to solve people's problems on a daily basis. As a state secretary for civic engagement, I'm especially concerned to encourage civil society to take responsibility, just to be engaged in society, just to help the people who are in need, for the homeless, for the immigrant children that have parents that could not afford taking them to sports or to whatever, giving them music classes. Um, or being engaged in climate issues. So that is what I try to do, to encourage people to be engaged in society and to feel home by being engaged. Because the moment we have a civic, uh, an engaged civic society, the mo I don't feel afraid of our democracy. But the moment where people like divert their backs on our society, where they say, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want to, I don't like these politicians. They don't, I don't trust them. That is the moment where I feel like worried about our democracy and or about our coming ground and um, um, about our living together. So promoting civic engagement, encouraging people to raise up their voices against right-wing extremism, to just say something when they see an anti-Semitic, racist attacks or language, just to raise their voice. That is something that I work on, and I think that is very important. So we can all be Berliners together. Of course. So no consensus, but for sure a sense of solidarity. I hope you enjoyed the premiere and gained some insight into Berliners and the many challenges we face. My guests were Berlin politicians Sausan Chebli and Christian Greif, DJ Rick Delisle, and theater director Sherman Langhoff. Joining us were our socially distanced audience at Pfefferberg House 13 and viewers in Europe and the U.S. who connected via Zoom. I'd like to thank the amazing KCRW Berlin team who make Common Ground possible, including senior producer Dina El-Sayed, senior editor Monica Müller-Kroll, deputy editor Sylvia Cunningham, Marketing Director Jess Sweetman, Social Media Editor Don Clyde, Emit Appenzeller, Sandy Chen Kluth, and the KCRW Berlin Board, especially co-founder Karen Roth and acting CEO Anna Kuchenbecker. A special thanks also to the Federal Ministry of Economic Affairs and Energy for supporting our show with a European Recovery Program grant. I'm your host, Soraya Serhadi Nelson. Please join us on Monday, September 14th at 104.1 FM in Berlin, via the KCRW app or website, or on this podcast for the next edition of Common Ground, when we tackle the question, will turning Berlin into a new tech hub mean more jobs and revenue, or force residents out and drive up poverty?